Getting Patrick McLennan to appear on the podcast took a little bit of gentle persuasion. You see, as Patrick succinctly puts it, he's a journalist by training and inclination and has never really wanted to be in the public eye, or indeed on the other side of the camera, or in this case, microphone. Patrick is a London-based producer-director who has worked as a journalist in the UK and New Zealand. His CV includes news producer at the BBC and TV New Zealand, as well as a digital editor for Time Inc. He has produced TV news and entertainment features on personalities as diverse as Nick Cave, Clive James, Jodie Marsh and Katie Hopkins. However, our paths crossed when I went to the Picturehouse Central to see a screening and Q&A of the new film he has just finished co-producing and directing called The Ponds. The Ponds is a beautifully shot film that follows the lives of the swimmers at the unique outdoor ponds at Hampstead Heath, right here in the heart of London. People swim at the ponds all year round, just as they did in the time of Keats and Constable. I met Patrick at the men's pond where this was recorded, so forgive the odd splash as swimmers plunge into the icy cold water, or the sound of ducks and moorhens paddling by. The pond seems to have taken on a life of its own, thanks to Patrick and his team. So join us as we dive into Patrick's passion for getting to the heart of our everyday stories. Each week, I'll be asking my guests to tell us one or two of their favourite secret places to visit in London, whether it's a restaurant, pub, museum, or simply a lovely walk. So make sure you listen to the end of the show, where my guest will spill the beans on their legacy reveal. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is Your London Legacy. So I'm delighted to say that today on the podcast, Your London Legacy, we are joined by the inimitable Patrick McLennan. Not the same Patrick McLennan, anything to do with the Wacko siege and... No, no, I wasn't there at the time. Well, you can't pin that on me. That's nothing to do with, with that uh, occasion, a miserable occasion in his American history. But what it is to do with, it is to do with the documentary that Patrick was the co-producer and director, if I'm not co-pro- mistaken. Co-producer, co-director with my friend Sam Smith. Um, yes, we shared duties. Yeah. And that's not the Sam Smith, the singing Sam Smith. No, 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 no but um, there is a joke. that We do have a joke that when he doesn't attend one of the Q&As or one of the press opportunities, I always tend to say that he's, sorry, he couldn't, couldn't make it because he's away doing an, an arena tour in Asia. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It gets a laugh occasionally. <laughs> so... Patrick, as we said, was the uh, co-producer and co-director of The Ponds, which was a, what would you call it, documentary film, a, an entertainment documentary? Uh, what, what category does it fit well, into? Well, it, it's a good question, actually, because it's an observational documentary, but um, a lot, there were a lot of interviews, so it's not a true observational fly-on-the-wall documentary, but um, that's what we're calling it, because there's no real title for that genre. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a mix. It's a mix, yeah. When I, I went to see the, the film, in fact, I went to see it at one of your screenings at the Picturehouse Central, which is one of my favourite haunts. And that's, in fact, the only other place I've done an outside, what I might call a loosely term, an outside broadcast, outside recording. When I said I'd like to, to interview you for, for the, this podcast, you said, let's meet at the, the men's ponds and do it on the, uh, the diving board in the men's ponds. And I thought, no, he's joking. <laughs> but do not. So here we are. I must say, it's absolutely stunning. It is. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? Look, you know, we're, we're sitting outside the lifeguard's hut. Um, it's, you know, well, it's, it's an early April day. It's very early spring. Um, it's brisk. It's, it's a little brisk. <laughs> There's a bit of a breeze. But we've got more hens. We've got a couple of gentlemen doing very relaxed breaststroke in the 10-degree 
centigrade water and the sun is trying to peek through and it's just the most beautiful i i think it's the most beautiful spot it, it in is London. absolutely gorgeous yeah. and i'm glad it's today not yesterday because yesterday's weather was horrible and it was <laughs> raining and cold but it's gone up a few degrees so i think what i'd like i mean i could sit here quite comfortably for a few hours and just get a good <laughs> get a good book and a cup of coffee but i think what i like to do is um and i know you I know you don't like talking about yourself. And because I'm a journalist. Because you're a journalist. I, I prefer to ask the questions. <laughs> so being, but this isn't a Q&A, as I say to all the guests. This is, this is more a, a gentle conversation. So I understand you, you from a journalistic background and also from a, um, a technical background, shall we say, from a digital point of view, because I think you used to work for Time. Was it Time? Yeah, I used to work for Time Inc. UK, which was um, formerly IPC Media. Um, you know, it's a massive magazine publishing company. I, I've worked there on and off for probably 20 years. Mm -hmm. the, the last role I had there was I was a digital editor for their um, TV magazines, and which mainly involved um, writing a lot of content about soap operas and um, interviewing a lot of soap stars and a lot of actors, you know, like TV actors. So yeah, it was it was a, it was a good job. It was a good job. But um, I, you know, I'm not a massive soap fan, so I had to no, try. Me neither. And, so I had to try <laughs> try and uh, feign interest a lot of times yeah. uh, about the, the you know the various doings of uh, Albert Square. Yeah, we always have a laugh that we say we can turn on these standards after 10 years of not having watched it. Nothing nothing has changed. There's still someone leaving <laughs> yeah. the, the Christmas episode in the taxi, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so not a lot changes. So, I mean, did you find that not sort of, you, you weren't passionate about that? I mean, you, you, oh, no, no, look, it was, it was a, it was a brilliant job over the, over many years, and I've made a lot of good, really good friends um, through through it. So um, I look back on my time there very fondly, and you know I had a I had a charmed life uh, for many people because you know I, like I say I spent a lot of time interviewing actors and and um, going to the launches of TV programs and TV series. Um, it was also quite a lot of hard you know hard yakka as they say in Australia. Yeah, we because should point out you haven't got a London accent. I haven't got a London no. accent, but I'm not Australian either. I'm from New Zealand. Okay. So don't pin that on me either. <laughs> How long have you been over here then? I um, first, first came to Britain in 1992. And it was only meant to be for a couple of years. I did the traditional, it's called OE, it's overseas experience. Uh, and Working I, behind the bar? No, I never no. did that. No, I was always determined that, you know, I, was a, I had trained as a journalist um, in New Zealand working for newspapers and I was determined to come over here and work at the same. And I came over with my then uh, New Zealand fiancé and we were only going to be here for two years. But, um, you know, um, subsequently, You're still here. Sub subsequently turned into, well, it's not quite 27 years because I went back to New Zealand a couple of times, um, worked at various points. It was something about being a European, I suppose, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I look, you know, we've got another a, day at least of being in Europe. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm treasuring it. I'm treasuring it. Um, I, it's, it's a very traditional route for New Zealanders, for young Kiwis to come over to Britain and to Europe to sample the world and yes. to to sample the the motherland. In many cases, uh -huh. you know, we've, a lot of us have got British ancestry, so we tend to come over here and see what it's all yes. about. And we tend to find this is the interesting thing is that it's, you know, almost diametrically on the opposite side of the world, but the culture is so similar to New Zealand in so many respects that Kiwis um, tend to feel very comfortable in Britain. I'm just thinking my, my wife, who's recently um, took early retirement from teaching, special needs teacher in, in London school, she said a lot of New Zealand 
Kiwis used to come over and uh, do, you, do you mind being called Kiwis? Is that no, 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 it's a proper, it's a, a brand of pride. <laughs> used to come over and take you know roles as uh, trainee teachers over here or yeah. supply teachers and fit, fill in. And she said they were fantastic, work ethic, and very good with the kids. Well, you know, I, I'm sure she won't mind me um, speaking about it, but my ex fiance, um, she was a teacher, and when she came over, she worked in the what was considered the the, the roughest school in Summerstown. Um, near mm. King's Cross. Mm -hmm. um, this is back in the early 90s. And she was desperate. She didn't have the same visa that I had. She was desperate to stay and work in Britain. And because she was prepared to work at the school that no other teachers really wanted to work at, um, the local MP interceded on her behalf and, and helped her with the process of, the, of getting citizenship. Mm. So, yeah, so there is a, a good relationship between, mm. in fact, one of my close friends lived in New Zealand for a short period of time. Um, didn't like the spiders, so he came back. <laughs> <laughs> they're, all, they're all harmless, apart from the uh, catapult. Okay. It's got a nasty bite. <laughs> no, he was there for a good few years, credit to him. So, how did you make the transition from being a j journalist doing you know with soaps and things in into movie making shall we say I mean, right it's um a good question it, well I, you know I, as a journalist i always kind of prided myself on the ability to dig out stories um and generally my preference was for human interest stories rather than you know hard-bitten police mm. stories or investigations and things like that. I always preferred human interest sure. kind of pieces. And in the mid-noughties, about, I think it was 2004, I went back to New Zealand um, for a couple of years and I worked as a TV news producer. And I learned some of the skills of um, TV production, which, you know, it was, it, it was really, it was a baptism by fire because it was a daily news program and then we didn't have a lot of staff and it was quite a pressurized situation. But, um, yeah, I learned, um, you know, a lot of lot of the skills that you need for um, basic television production. And at that point, I started trying to make documentaries and, you know, had various levels of, of success. And uh, But it's, it's taken, you know, to this point to actually um, get a feature documentary, um, you know, pre-produced, funded, produced, and, you know, amazingly, now it's in cinemas. What's explained to someone like me, what's the difference between pre-produced and, and produced? Well, pre-production is just making sure that um, everything, is, you know, you can do the, the documentary. So in the like case, due diligence. Yeah, exactly. So in the case of um, my documentary, The Ponds, we had to make sure that we had access to the ponds, that, um, that we had permission from Hampstead Heath Management, from the City of London Corporation, that we weren't going to have any impediments. So the pre-production was actually I know, see. making sure that we could, um, okay. could do the documentary. All right. So why did you choose a, a topic such as the ponds? Uh, put it this way. I've been, I'm a Londoner, born and bred, mm. North, North Londoner, and I, I know Hampstead and Hampstead Heath reasonably well you know we start off walking yeah. it from Kenwood House and we walk down and Parliament Hill and through the ponds and I've, I've never been this side of the ponds always the other side if that makes sense of the Hampstead Heathy side and I've always thought of that as a, like an exclusive area where people yeah. you know is, I would never have a chance to get in there but how, how did this idea come to you concept well you know it's it's a real apprehension or uh, you know an illusion preconception I should say um, about the ponds and and this area is that it is exclusive mm. it's not 
you know um, there's a two pound optional charge and I think it's just the mystique of of Hampstead and Hampstead Heath yes. that, that has built up over time but uh-huh. you know the, the ponds in the Victorian era were a very important area for working class people to come and um, socialize on the weekends and relax and, and in many cases bathe you know, before that, it was an upper class. The only people who knew how to swim, really, back in the early 19th century were, you know, upper class um, public school boys. Right. But, um, you know, people certainly came down to Hampstead Heath to splash around. And, you know, where we are at the Highgate Men's Pond, this was the centre of um, a group called the, uh, an organisation called the Highgate Life Boys, which set up in the... 1890s and that was a group of tradesmen and working-class men um, who got together uh, who believed in the virtues of outdoor activity and they formed a social uh, you know an athletics club based around um, you know outdoor exercises and swimming in the ponds Mm -hmm. so and that tradition has kept up and you know the, the amazing thing about it is it is very democratic here and it's not it's not exclusive by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, that's a it's a fallacy. Yeah. Well, having walked in, this is the first time I've ever been here, mm. and I just walked in. <clears throat> you know, without so much as a buy you leave, no one sort of pays much attention to you. As you say, it's what, two pound to have a swim here or something. Yeah. So it's not optional ex- charge. Optional charge. It's not exclusive in terms of financial wherewithal, and it's not exclusive in terms of the uh, facilities and the amenities, because they're it's very pre- Spartan. Pretty Spartan. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. the word. Pretty Spartan and basic. But it is exclusive in terms of its its splendour and its location. It, it is absolutely glorious. Well, the thing about it here is that you can hear the bird noise in the background and you can hear there's about three gents having a swim here. You can pretend that you're in the countryside because there's a very distant hum of um, traffic noise. But, you know, if you look around, you can't see any buildings. No. Um, all you can see is trees and the occasional jogger. Um, and it's great is screened pretty much all the way around with trees isn't it so yeah absolutely uh and the thing about it is that uh, if you swim year round um and i have become a, a year round swimmer um for my sins uh, you understand how important it is to actually be in nature because most most of us if we work in offices in london spend you know autumn and winter under yeah. artificial lighting artificial heating and in this very you know kind of unnatural kind of existence but mm. if you manage to swim year round and grow with the seasons um it really adds another dimension yeah. to life and i don't think there's too many people who suffer from seasonal affective disorder what who swim, the, here? Who swim <laughs> at the ponds I, I, I doubt it i doubt it very much which brings us on to the documentary itself um obviously did, I mean, when you did it, you obviously thought this is going to be an interesting topic. And I think the concept was you were filming the characters who frequent this pond over the course of, was it a year? Four, four seasons, in effect, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Did you understand what the sort of flow of the thing was going to be? Or did you, did no. you, did you have an idea where you were going to go with it? No, no idea at all. Um, you know, I, I had the original idea because I was a swimmer at Parliament Hill Lido. And myself and Sam, my co-producer, we were working on another documentary that was spinning out of control it was getting too big for us and we didn't have the budget for it so we put that on the back burner and we were looking to work together on something else and i was just having a swim you know doing a bit of um, lazy backstroke one um, spring day at the lido 2016 and i was thinking about what would make a really good subject and they had to have three uh, had three criteria one of them was it had to have a fixed location because we were sick of traveling everywhere Um, the second was 
I had to have a fixed duration because the other documentary was kind of feeling endless. And the third thing was it had to have great stories um, because if you haven't got great stories, sure. what have you got? Yeah. And um, I just suddenly thought, and I'd only ever swum at the men's pond once before, and I suddenly had this thought about um, the ponds and how amazing – uh, you know, in the centre of London, um, you, first of all, you have 320 hectares of bush and parkland that is Hampstead Heath. But within that, you have these three historic bathing ponds uh, at which the experience is, uh, really hasn't changed mm. in 150 years. So that's the, the men's, the ladies and the, and mix, the mixed pond. And the mixed pond. And the mixed pond, yeah. yeah. So it's a very Spartan environment. It's rough and ready. Um, the ladies have got a new... You know, new um, changing rooms um, and dwelling there, and hot showers, uh, which the men don't have. But so, so that is—it's been slightly modernised at the ladies, but at the men's, it's it's rough and ready. And uh, I, I think the men would revolt if anyone tried to uh, modernise it. <laughs> Put hot water in. Yeah, I noticed one of the cabins had some heating in. Yeah, that's the Highgate Life Boys Hut. Okay. Um, so they have a couple of, uh, they've got a kettle and a radiator in there. So I was very um, lucky to be inducted into the Highgate Life Boys. Well, congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> I've never been invited to any club before in my life. Honorary so, member. So I'm, I'm an honorary member. And um, I tell you what, when it's one degree centigrade in the water and about three degrees out, as it was here in January, having that radiator at the end of the swim is such a precious thing. That's amazing. That's, that's fantastic. So the concept was you were going to come and film the characters who frequent this pond yep. over the course of a, a, a roughly a year, four seasons. What sort of stories did you find you were getting? What, what was the sort of common theme that people were saying the pleasure or otherwise they got from coming here or running away from things perhaps well, in their own life? Well, the, you know, just, just go back a little bit on your mm. question. Um, and we, when I put that idea to, to Sam... He thought it was a really good idea. And then he thought, well, what do we need to do to make it happen? So I immediately went to um, a chap called Paul Gill, who's uh, uh, manager of the swimming facilities on Hampstead Heath. And I, I just did a pitch to him. Hmm. And he gets inundated with requests for different kind of, um, you know, activities related to documentaries, film and, and photography. And he... Um, he really liked the idea and he he supported us from day one and that was an amazing thing because uh, without without his support and the support of other members of the Heath management we wouldn't have gone anywhere and they actually smoothed uh, the process for us they introduced us to the various swimming groups which became the next next kind of battle because it's one thing having permission to film there but if no one wants to talk to us then we've got we haven't got a documentary and um, so we got one by one, we got in touch with the various swimming groups on Hampstead Heath and there are about three or four swimming groups that um, belong, that, that are based at the men's pond and at the ladies pond there's a, um, the main organisation is the Kenwood Ladies Pond Association and they, you know, they're the, the public organisation for um, the swimmers who frequent um, the ladies pond. Although the, the you know they're nothing to do with the lifeguards, the lifeguards are autonomous and they're employed sure. by um, the city of London. So um, and they're very generally very resistant. Um, they like they like um, the ladies' pond to be considered a safe space, and 
So we've just got a moorhen clucking, clucking away <laughs> in the background there. Um, so they, um, you know, it's, a, it's a safe space for a lot of women and it's enshrouded by trees and they, they just love the seclusion of it and they don't like too much um, media. And they're, for they example, the intrusion into their privacy. Yeah, yeah and, and, and spoiling their swim. So uh, we had to negotiate with the, the Kenwood Ladies Pond Association over a period of months. But um, eventually they, they came through and, um, you know, granted us four days filming over... 12 months which was brilliant because we couldn't have really made the documentary without them no sure so going back to the question that preceded that i saw the the documentary film which i thought was amazing it's uh was it run for an hour and it's uh, um 74 minutes 74 minutes and it tells the tales from all the individuals but you're not you're not it's not a q a they're telling their story there's no there's, i don't even think there's anyone interviewing them as such is there they're just in front of the camera no, oh, no, no, that's me. That's me interviewing. But, you don't um, hear you. No, no, no. Well, you hear me about three or four times. Occasionally, when, yeah. When it was unavoidable, when I, we just couldn't cut me yeah. out without, um, you know, I had to have my yeah. question in there to make sure. sense. But we tried to make it as unintrusive as as possible so that it was, as you say, it was just the um, swimmers telling mm. their stories. And, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing about um, the ponds, and I always say this, um, there's two things I say. And one is that if you're a year-round swimmer, ipso facto, you're an interesting person because if you are prepared to swim, you know, um, when it's one degree centigrade in the water or you're prepared to break the ice, there's something going we'll on there. Christmas there's, Day and New yeah, Year's there's Day. So, there's something going on there that's, <laughs> that's worth um, finding out about. So um, that's one thing we discovered um, very, very quickly. And the other thing is we discovered is that cold water is like a truth serum people find it very hard to you know fabricate stuff or to yeah. be anything but honest about themselves after they've been in cold water yes. and you know as humans we all we're all the same we all you know build up facades and barriers and and you know protection but when we were interviewing people who come out of the water straight out of the water it's it's you know it, it's amazing to uh, how frank they're prepared to be about their lives mm. Because there's some incredible stories from some of the characters, some people who have suffered some, you know, chronic illnesses, you know, from cancer and accidents. One of the lead characters, I think, got knocked over by a, by a bus and had a terrible head injury, I think. Yeah. Was it a head injury? Yeah, yeah. well, that's Tom, yeah. Tom, Tom, Tom Carney. And he, um, you know, he, he got hit by a, a bus running a red light on Oxford Street. And, um, yeah, he was you know devastating injuries i don't know how he survived but he was in a coma for for two weeks and then hospitalized for for a month and he talks very eloquently about the whole experience and um he tells he won't mind me telling his story mm -hmm. to a small degree and he lived next door to the pond legend that is al alvarez now al alvarez is a is like I say, he's a pond legend, but he was a famous mountain climber. He wrote a book um, about. He's written a number of books, but he was a you know world world class poker player. I think he was a literary editor. He was a mountain climber, but he was also a um, pond swimmer. And he lived next door to Tom, and he said when Tom was recovering, he said, "Look." Yeah, I, I'm not going to swear because, you know, this is a public podcast. No, no, you feel free. Well, it's, not, I mean, it's got explicit categorization. Okay. So you well, I don't you want to, you know, in, <laughs> if it's in, in case, context. In, my, in case my mother ever hears this, I, I won't swear. But he, he went, you know, like he, he said, look, Tom, you know, if a bendy bus 
Oh, and Oxford Street doesn't kill you, then getting in the cold water certainly won't yeah. effing kill you either. Yeah. And I think it'll make you better. Uh-huh. So Tom, basically, from that day, I thought, well, well, soon after, you know, he had that talking to, came in the water and he just found it was a, you know, for his um, recovery was really, um, mm. really crucial and it helped him in many, many different ways. And he talks very eloquently about that. And he also, he co-founded one of the swimming groups here at the men's pond which is ironically called the east german ladies swimming team <laughs> yeah. yeah so they, they you, you might they, want to explain why that they, why they that are is. characters <laughs> they are characters they um they're called the east german League. so it's a loose group of around 60 men of um different ages a certain age <laughs> well yeah I, I, so I guess the average age would be you know you'd class them as uh, middle-aged and they meet up on a Saturday and a Sunday morning for a um, kind of anarchic swim. You know, they just meet up. They're, they, you know, they like hanging out together. They've got, you know, monogrammed um, uh, clothing, you know, swimming caps, with swimming the... caps, and and trunks and so forth. And they get in the water. They make a lot of noise. As Tom, as Tom says, you know, he said, you know, I know, I know, we disturb some of the swimmers here, but you know, we like we're kind of like seagulls. We come in. We make a lot of noise. We shit everywhere, uh, and then we fly off. So, um, yeah, they. So Tom, the reason they got their name is they. Um, he and a friend were um, swimming very, you know, soon after he uh, his recovery. He was in during early in his recovery, and um, they took a photo. Someone took a photo of them on the jetty, and he took it home. Um, I'm not sure if it was Tom's wife or his friend's wife and um, showed her the picture and she said oh my god you look just like the East German ladies swimming team from the 1976 Olympics perfect boom yeah and that's that's how they got their name so fantastic one of the themes I noticed and I think if you go and see the film you'll you'll probably pick it up yourself is the the amount of people who come and swim here say that the amount of spirituality they they get from it that the almost like an out-of-body experience if you like they get something more to life just by being here in the ice cold water in the natural surroundings being in isolation apart from you know the moorhens and the other swimmer going the other way is that something that surprised you when you started to do the movie yeah yeah it did i mean i've always been a swimmer and you know from a young age and uh, you know i grew up swimming in the the you know kind of alpine streams and rivers and news in the south island of new zealand so I'm no, I'm no stranger to cold water swimming, but um, I, you know, for many, many years, I, I used to swim indoors, you know, and be, love, you know, the warm water. But um, when we started making the documentary, I decided I had to be a year rounder and um, I had to get in the water with the people that we were filming. So, and I've become an addicted year um, round swimmer, outdoor swimmer. Uh, I think it's, it's a magical experience. And there is nothing that can transform, nothing that's legal that can transform um, your day uh, that is the equivalent of cold water swimming. I mean, I, I don't think that's overstating it. And I think, you know, people, you know, jumping out of a um, aircraft for, you know, parachuting or bungee jumping or something. Um, not quite can so change, accessible. Yeah, not quite so accessible. <laughs> but people talk about things like yoga, having the ability to, to transform their state of mind and, and calm them down and, and meditation, all those kind of things. But I don't think, I, I think apart from anything else, the efficiency of getting in cold water when it's really cold, you can get in, in January and February, have a three minute swim, come out and the endorphins are uh, racing, you know, around, around your body and you just feel so incredibly elevated. And um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And the thing about the spiritual side of it, 
I'm, I, I just think there's something that focuses your mind um, that, that shuts down for me because you know, I'm, not, I'm not religious and I'm not going to pretend that I'm deeply spiritual. But uh, there's something about getting in the water that um, just shuts out all the background noise of life and just let, allows you to focus on yourself and what's immediately ahead of you, which is the swim. That is a really beautiful experience because you don't – you know, it, it shuts out all the white noise. You know? It's almost like a form of meditation, I it guess, is. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. And there are, there are people in the in our documentary who talk, um, Tom himself talks about the spiritual side mm. of the ponds and, and other people talk about the spiritual side of the pond for them. And yeah, it's a, and overcoming it, grief as well. I mean, there was I think there was an elderly gentleman who said he lost his wife. Um, yeah, well. I don't know if it was during the filming of the thing. No. But he, no. he was coming here soon. I think the day, the day she died or yeah, the day after well, that's, she died? Yeah, that's, yeah, he, um, yeah, he just, he his partner died and yeah. he um his first thought was you know to deal with his grief was he had to get to the to the men's pond to have a swim yeah that's yeah. remarkable isn't it? it it is and it's a real feeling of of solace yeah. and um yeah it's, 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 it's a form of escapism but a, but back to nature isn't it yeah as you say because we're in the middle of you know north london if but this is re really, literally an oasis. It's fantastic. So what about the, the film itself? I mean, it's taken on a life of its own. It, uh, you, you are doing screenings not just in London, but across the country, and I think in Ireland and, and Wales as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, excuse me, I've got a bit of a cold. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well, this, this I'm not a poster, at the moment, I'm not a poster boy for, it, for the benefits of cold I was going to say, it's too much swimming in cold water, yeah. <laughs> my mum would say. Yeah. Um, so, so how's that going? Because it seems yeah, to have look, really taken off. It's been amazing. Um, we, you know, all we wanted really was to make a coherent film. And um, I wanted to be able to come back here and swim uh, without getting barracked or booed or hissed um, after the film was made. Uh -huh. And that was my, pretty much my sole aim at the end of the project. But we discovered quite early on what happened was, um, you know, our dis distribution company, um, managed to get it into a cinema, the Everyman Hampstead, for three nights in January. And it sold out incredibly quickly. And they were like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. You know, something's happening here. And um, so they booked in another bunch of screenings. And um, it just it had a bit of a snowball effect. And, yeah, it's 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 as an independent documentary, it's been classed as a hit. And that's really taken us by surprise, genuine surprise. Because we thought we thought it was a coherent film, but it seems to be touching, um, you know, it seems to be speaking to people, mm. and not just swimmers, you know, people who... Um, who can relate to the humanity and the and the stories that are coming out? Yes, because um, there's a wide range of stories and wide. Another one I need another person I need to speak to, because I just um, saw her earlier today as Carrie Longton, who is a breast cancer survivor, and she features very prominently in in the film, and tells her story, and it's a really powerful powerful story. And I had a um, uh, we were doing a Q and A a couple of weeks ago in South London. And and a lady just piped up in the Q and A and said, "Look, I just want you know want to thank you for the documentary, and it's, it's such a special film for me because my uh, experience is identical to Carrie. I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and the way and basically cold water swimming helped me through that. Mm. So it's it's kind of tapping into those kind of experiences. Uh, I think the word I would use for the whole thing is is up, uplifting." Because you've got community, you've got nature, you've got some spirituality, you've got overcoming grief, 
and it's just a it's a feel good film. It really is. Yeah, yeah. And we'll put it this way: I took my daughter along. <laughs> Ordinarily, it's not the sort of movie she'd want to go to. She, you know, she'd want to go and say, I don't know, something with um, one of the latest stars, and loved it. Absolutely really? loved it. That's yeah. We're, we're, How old is she? She's twenty four. Right. Right. So. She's not a swimmer mm. by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, she'd probably tell you she can't swim, but this, it was the stories. And, well, I mean, this is what you, you like doing, do, you know, documenting yeah, yeah. people's stories. And it's what I like doing from a, a sort of audio perspective. So it, it's absolutely perfect. Yeah. So what are the next, what have you got lined up for it now? I mean, where do you take it from well, here? Well, we, um, it's taking on a, a life of its own um, and it's turning into something that we didn't really envisage. So two weeks ago, well, this is, there's, a, there's a touch of irony about this story as well, because two weeks ago, I took it to Brussels, and I screened it in Brussels for a group over there. And, and, and for a British production to be welcomed into Brussels at the moment, there's, a, <laughs> there's, you know, there's a deep and obvious irony there. Um, but the, the funny thing about it is that um, in Brussels, there's no open-air outdoor public swimming spaces, uh, not a single place that the public can go and have a swim you know when it's 30 degrees 35 degrees like it was last summer so there's a campaign there called pool is cool and they've been agitating um or campaigning with the authorities for the last four or five years to to take over um a couple of the kind of um inner city ponds mm -hmm. and uh over just at the for summer to begin with um, so people can have some somewhere to swim, and they they came across the trailer for the ponds, and got in touch with me and said, "Could, could we'd we'd love to um, show your film as a demonstration to you know the the authorities yes. and ecologists and the town planners of the virtues of." And how did that go? Has it gone down? Yeah, well? it went it went really well. You know, yeah. a really nice bunch of people. Um, and uh, yeah, they're they, very... they going to get their way. Where they're going to get? Some oh, well, they, they're swimming? having a couple of test swims in Brussels this year, um, this summer, which I'm hoping to go over for yeah. one. Um, so they're getting permission to to use uh, one of the lakes just for a day, and um, it'll be lifeguarded and fully um, health and safetyed up. And that is going to be used as kind of a test case um, scenario for. You know, potentially having uh, having longer periods in summers to come. Well, it's nice to know we've still got some influence in Europe. Anyway. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, yeah, no, I mean, oh, it's interesting. I don't want to get political, but um, you know, it's it was a really nice exchange. I really enjoyed hmm. um, exchanging thoughts and um, you know the love of cold water swimming, outdoor yeah. swimming with these people because it, it, it's an international language. Yes, you know, you go you go anywhere and yeah. I'm ne I'm nearly tempted to strip off and get in, well, but the, the closest I, I get is I, I. I'm sure people don't really want to know this, but I do have. A, I finish off my shower every morning with a, a 30 second ice cold blast, which is something I, I I read about. I think in the Tim Ferriss book. You know Tim Ferriss, the American um, podcaster, and a lot of the characters he interviewed love the concept of ice cold showers or cold yeah, baths. That, that to me is bizarre, I, and, and it's I, lovely go, going from going from extreme. <laughs> Warmth to extreme cold. Yeah. Oh. No, but it makes you feel really good. Yeah. Really good. I mean, it's that well, old endorphin thing again. And yeah. yeah. Th then you know you've woken up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have a warm shower after your breakfast and you think, oh, yeah, work. Abs absolutely. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it, it is. It's sometimes I have a tendency to stay in too long and I kind of, you know, and um, uh, I 
his, it takes me about an hour and a half to stop shivering and, and the teeth chattering. And that probably to, to people listening to this sounds like a horrible experience, but it's not. It's actually, it's a lovely feeling when you get that glow spreading through your body and, yeah. and you come out the other side and you just, you know, you feel like a different person. The other thing I didn't realise, apart from the, the regular users, there's also, say in the summer, some of the grass banks here are full up with, is it, is it here or the, the mixed ponds or where the, where oh, well, the, people the, come and there's no, there's no obvious sunbathing space within the, the environment of the men's pond, but uh-huh. just outside is a famous, um, you know, it's an epicenter of gay culture, uh-huh. and it has been uh, for many, many years. Um, so in the summer, when it's hot, it turns into a bit of a, a gay Mardi Gras. It's just a gay outside. pride event. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. And it's, you know, yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. And we did, we did film with uh, many of those guys when we filmed in 2017. Uh-huh. So that's also in the documentary, briefly. Yes, no, yeah. Well, yeah, everyone was catered for, I think, in the documentary. Even you, you managed to get access into the ladies' changing room, um, briefly. No, it's, not into the changing no. room, but they, are you referring to the... Um, the uh, couple the, of semi-nude scenes. Yeah, so. well, you know, obviously... <laughs> With all, consent. All consents <laughs> yeah. were um, obtained. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, those ladies. Uh, we, we included that in the um, documentary because the other thing that's really important to recognise is it's not, it's not all doom and gloom here. A lot of people are just swimming for fun. Yeah. And they, they like hanging out with their friends at the various ponds. And, you know, they have a lot of fun together. And the, the reason we kept those scenes in was just to show that. Yeah, it's fine. It's it, fine. They seemed game for a laugh. They were, yeah. you know, it was a good crack, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was fine. Where does the movie go now? I mean, right. you've taken it to Belgium. You've got big plans for it? or Yeah, we've got an international sales agent and um, who um, we're just about to sign a contract with. And mm-hmm. we're having... Emails coming in every day from around the world, various um, groups around the world, you know, from New Zealand, Australia, Argentina, Spain, um, Germany, France. Um, Asking what? For screens? America, Canada. Yeah, basically yeah. people um, who are outdoor swimmers or have got swimming groups uh-huh. and have discovered the um, documentary or found the trailer and want to, um, want to set up screenings for, uh-huh. for themselves and their friends. So we're going to be um, marketing it a little later this year to I think we're probably going to be um, putting a lot of energy into marketing the TV version the one hour version to around the world okay so so it's and you can't say too much about that at the moment no, but the, no got plans okay. for it to go onto terrestrial yeah I, well I can't say anything no, no. About okay. it, but we, we are working we're working on a um, television version a one hour version of it that'll be brilliant um, so yeah, watch this. Space. It's amazing. From, it's it's so from exciting doing your back crawl in uh, the Lido yeah. down the road here. Too. Yeah, you know the the thing about it was I was quite surprised that no one had already done it, and there was a documentary called City Swimmers about the ponds from two thousand and six, uh, but there's a different kind of documentary. It was about a public campaign to uh, uh, mainly swimmers and local residents to. Who were locked in a battle with the City of London Corporation, who were trying to cut their costs because it was costing a lot of money to maintain the mm. ponds. But so that was that's a semi-political documentary. But ours, I, I couldn't believe it. Ours was the first, you know, sort of long film. It's long surprising form given human interest yeah. documentary. Yeah, I and mean, I didn't even appreciate the ponds have been here for so long since the well, first since the eighteen late eighteen hundreds. No, no. In terms of being, oh, we're in swimming. Being spots. used as swimming yeah, spots. Yeah, I, I think people have been bathing here since the early 1800s. Yeah. 
Probably before that, but you know, the, the ponds have been around since the 17th century. The first ponds, mm. I believe, in mm. the 17th century. But in terms of swimming environments, I think it was from the in, it was from the mid uh, 19th century yeah. that people really started swimming. So forgive the pun, but are you going to use this as a as a springboard to to to, to, to sorry? It's a shock. That's terrible, isn't it? To 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 move on to other similar type of projects. You have other sort of plans in the offing. Oh yes, um, myself and Sam, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're you know we we feel like we've touched. Well, we've we've captured the zeitgeist, and you know, accidentally, mm. it wasn't our intention. We didn't think, oh, here's something that you know that needs, you know, that's right for the moment. That was not our intention. Our intention was to tell a good story about an interesting environment, interesting people. But we seem to have stumbled in sure. to um, into that scenario, and it's got us thinking about other um, similar environments and similar groups, and you know, other stories that are worth telling that have, you know, not been told before mm. or been marginalised or whatever. And um, so we are you looking at keep, looking at various under your hat yeah, you looking at various options. And yeah. hopefully this, this time around it will be a lot easier because we, uh, you know, because this the Ponds has been a success, hopefully we'll, you know, find it easier to raise the money and to get TV broadcasters interested mm. Um, and everything. Will so, be. who commissioned the ponds then? Who, who well, no, it was, we tried to get a commission with television, and we we just couldn't. We because in terms of feature documentaries or TV series or anything, we're debutants, um, so we didn't have any track record, and it's really enormously difficult to, mm. to get a commission if you haven't got something. Already. So, how was it funded? Uh, we, you know, basically went cap in hand uh-huh. um, to to a few people, and um, we had a small amount of private donations um some of our own money not a lot uh but basically the reason it got made was just the pure uh, persistence and stubbornness of myself and sam we, once we'd started it we were not going to so real, not finish it yeah a real um, labor of love then yeah, yeah it was a, it was a true labor of love and oh. you know we started up with the first shooting days we had a team of about six people working on it each day and and by the end of the filming process it was me me and sam you know <laughs> doing everything and you know uh, who knows it might have been a different documentary if if we'd been fully funded it might not have had the charm that, that it has That's you know if it point. had been a big production yeah. so so we're very proud of it um and um want to continue making similar stories well, we're at the uh, the time of the conversation when I ask my guests to name one, maybe two places that they, they love in and around London that is, is maybe personal to them or some something that takes them out of the normal their normal zone. So, Patrick, what is the place that you're going to tell us about that we might not know about? Well, Steve, if I can, if I may, um, there are two places I want to mention. Absolutely. But they, uh, they're compatible because one of them is Waterloo Bridge because... You know, as a child, I listened to the Kinks, and mm-hmm. well, I still listen to the Kinks. But you know, Waterloo Sunset is a, was one of the the iconic know, songs. I- iconic songs about London. I remember when I first came to London in 1992, walking across the Waterloo Bridge, and I just had one of those moments where I just this, suddenly the song hit me, and where I was hit me, and it was a beautiful light. So that was really meaningful. Mm. And of course, just along from Waterloo Bridge is uh, Blackfriars Bridge, and that bridge in particular has very special meaning for me um deep meaning 
uh, for me and uh, and a person who is very dear to me. So um, so Blackfriars Bridge and Waterloo Bridge, they'll always be significant Perfect. in my life. Yeah, lovely. And of course, if you go over the bridge to the South Bank, you've got all that wonderful side of London as well. Oh, we incredible, can... incredible. And I, I worked at King's Reach Tower uh, for IPC Media for many, many years, which is you know just on the South Bank as well. So it's an incredible part of London. Yeah. Perfect. And I recommend everyone to go and uh, wander over the bridges and have a, have a view of the Thames. It's beautiful. Brilliant. Well, before we wrap up, I'd just like, if you could just tell people how they can get in touch either with you through your social media, through the website to find how they can access maybe a screening of the ponds. I think there's still a few to be done. Yeah. Um, well, look, our website is uh, theponsfilm.com and um, you can email us at info at theponsfilm.com and uh, we will get back to you as soon as possible. Um, there are still screenings happening around the country, uh, mostly in London. Um, and you do a Q&A on those? Well, we do, we do Q&As as, as much as possible, wherever possible, um, especially for the larger screenings. And they, they, they're a lot of fun, the mm. Q&As. Uh, we've only come unstuck a couple of times with some very awkward questions, uh, which you know, took us by surprise. But, but generally, they're incredibly good-natured, quite funny at times. And, um, you know, just full of, you know, uh, goodwill and, you know, fraternity, uh, which, you know, we can all do with more of yeah. at the moment because there's a lot of animosity between people. And what I, I, I think that's another reason why the Ponds is doing so well is because people come out feeling good about other people. Mm, no, absolutely. Well, it's been a, a privilege and a pleasure. And I really do feel very lucky to, to have found this place through through you and through the film. And who knows? I might turn up here Christmas Day and dive in with the rest of you Why, guys. So, <laughs> so you didn't uh, you didn't bring your trunks today? No, oh, you're not going to push me in. Are you? <laughs> I've got my equipment. I'm not going you in now. Are you? Yeah, definitely. You seriously? For, for sure, for sure. Okay. All right. Well, it's lovely to uh, to be here. Thank you very much for taking part. Well, thank you for inviting me. Not Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Every week here at Your London Legacy we bring straight to your device a new and fascinating guest with a wonderful London-based story. We hope you enjoy listening to their timeless stories as much as we enjoy creating them for you. If so, the best way to show your appreciation is to subscribe to the show. Simply go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com and pop your name and email in the box where shown. That way, you'll never miss another episode. Thank you for your support.